Shelf Esteem, the podcast where I talk to interesting people about interesting books they've been reading. And this week's guests were chosen with a very particular focus in mind. I have been spending a fair bit of time over the last, uh, I guess the last few months, rereading one of my favorite fantasy series, which I'm going to talk about in this week's podcast a bit. And as a result, I found myself wanting to have a good conversation with someone about fantasy, which is one of my favorite genres. So I kind of put out some feelers for, you know, other fantasy nerds, and I had Shannon Sullivan, who is an author, writer of the book The Dying Days, and also a faculty member at the Department of Math and Statistics at Memorial University, and Sarah Aubert, who is a psychiatry resident, also at Memorial University. And they are both avid readers of fantasy as well as other genres. We had a great wide-ranging discussion, and as usual, I started it off by asking them what they've been reading lately. Well, actually, the last book I finished, uh, unusually for me, wasn't fiction, fantasy, or anything. Uh, so, it's, so it was completely outside my wheelhouse. It was a, it was a non-fiction book uh, by the guy who does the XKCD comic strip oh, online, okay, yes, yeah. uh, called What If... Uh, serious scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions. Oh, that's a great title. It, it was a fantastic title, and uh, and so it, it was. Uh, it, it's a book version of, of a blog that he does, uh-huh. uh, where people have submitted absurd hypothetical questions, and he genuinely goes into the science of well, how could this work? So, for example, uh, if a, a a portal to Mars opened at the bottom of the Marianas Trench and <laughs> sucked all started sucking all the water over to Mars. What would the Earth look like? And he actually goes through after, well, after the, you know, if it goes a, a couple of hundred meters down, this is what starts to happen a couple of kilometers down. This oh, is what wow. starts to happen. You know, New Zealand gains an, uh, gains a newer Zealand. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Grand Banks pops up out of the ocean. Wow. Uh, the Netherlands invades everybody, which is an, <laughs> and it was an interesting direction for that to go. But, uh, you know, things like this and, and just, you know, really interesting ideas. Sometimes absolutely bonkers ideas. Uh-huh. But the, the 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 ideas, the the discussion that it sparks was really neat and really appealed to my science background, which yeah. I don't, which is an itch I don't always scratch. Uh-huh. So uh, so that that was a lot of fun. Of course, really really funny. Yeah, that sounds really neat. Yeah. I mean, I I only know this guy through the the comics. So it would be that sounds like it'd be a really interesting read. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Um. So I guess I read a lot, but. In terms of fantasy, probably a good one that I read recently is Good Omens, which I hadn't read oh, ever. Oh, yeah, I haven't read it either, so it everybody was, seems to have. I know. <laughs> so it was like my missing gaiman, and I, uh-huh. I wanted to read it, and I loved it. It was great. So I feel That's like Terry great. Pratchett is also a missing part of my fantasy Me portfolio. Too, yeah. um, I read a lot of my dad's books when I was younger, so that's uh-huh. where I got all of my fantasy, and he, I guess, just was not a Terry Pratchett fan yeah. or had never read them, so I, they never got passed on. Uh-huh. And so I hadn't read any Terry Pratchett, and then this was like the one missing Neil Gaiman novel that I had. So I actually took the time. It had been sitting on my shelf forever. Uh-huh. And I took the time to read it and loved it. It was, it's great. It's hilarious. It was, it's interesting. I love reading books by two authors and kind of deconstructing which parts Who belong did, yeah, to each yeah. and, and how you can see how they complement each other, how, you know, some of the weaknesses you may have seen in one set of novels is now kind of compensated for by the other person. Uh-huh. And they're obviously both brilliant and yeah. funny and, so yeah, it was it was a great read. I yeah. I really enjoyed it. It's I read Good Omens years and years ago. I think mm-hmm. I was still in high school. So it was my first brush with Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. and it may have been my first experience of Neil Gaiman as well. Uh, and 
it, it, it was a book that, so, so I don't have the experience of being able to reflect on what bits I thought were Pratchett bits and what bits they I thought were, were Gaiman. Because they were both yeah. more or less new to me. Yeah. But it was a book that really made me interested in, in both of their works. Yes. Uh -huh. So uh, now in Pratchett's case, I, I read some of the Discworld books, never completely fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. and, okay. and I think it was because ultimately they were just a little too silly. Uh -huh. a, a, a little too much of the comedy without anything to kind of balance that out. Uh -huh. uh, and and I, I didn't read uh, very far into the series, and I know some of the later books that really seem to get the love. And one of these yeah. days, I really want to go back and say, okay, you know, Color of Magic, The Light Fantastic, not, you know, didn't yeah. quite do it for me. Maybe, you know, one of, maybe one of the later ones, Mort, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's on my to eventually read list. <laughs> but, but Gaiman is, is, is somebody that I've always very much enjoyed, not exclusively. Um, you know, uh, the other book I was going to mention that I'd read recently, in fact, um, was the ocean at the end of the lane? Oh, I love that. And that was that was a great book. Yeah, but you know, and and I love Stardust, and I and I love Neverwhere, and 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 his comic book work, Sandman, and stuff like that. But on at the other end of the spectrum, some of some of his work, to my surprise, doesn't always work for me. So American Gods, for instance. Oh, I am so relieved to hear anybody else say that they didn't love American Gods. I thought there was something wrong with me. No, and and it was a book that you know. I'd never say that I disliked it, uh -huh. but it just didn't seem to come together. And, and and I think Gaiman is an author whose approach is more or less to start writing, but without a really strong structure in mind. I, I, I don't think, and I, I'm no Gaiman expert, so somebody, <laughs> somebody can, can absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't get the impression that he's somebody who sits down and writes out a really detailed outline yeah, with a bunch of plot, plot, plot yeah. beats and, and kind of sticks to that. I get the feeling that he kind of sits down with ideas and just kind of sees where the story takes him, which uh -huh. is fine because it's how I write too, uh -huh. I, I'll, I'll have to admit. But I felt like American Gods was one work by him where that actually really, you, you could see him pulling the strings behind the curtain. Huh. Uh, and, and that it really, it seemed to bounce from idea to, to, to idea, and I never really felt like it quite came together. Mm -hmm. Whereas for something like Neverwhere, which is just such a, a, a an immersive, brilliant experience, mm -hmm. a Stardust, which which convinced me that you know you can tell fairy tales for adults yes. and they can be amazing, can or and the Ocean at the end of the lane, which 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 is kind of Neil Gaiman's greatest hits, and I yeah. say that in a, in a very in a very positive way. I think those those were those are just such. Such great books that are just so incredibly hard to put down because they're so well written and so well 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 developed and characterized and constructed. So yeah, I, I like that you said that you feel like he's someone who just goes in with an idea and then expands on it because the one thing that you didn't mention was his short stories and that's mm. what I I like the best from him. Oh really? So I feel like his greatest strength is as a, sh a writer of the short story mm. because I feel like he has these amazing ideas and I agree. So some of his novels I find do get a little. You, you can kind of tell like that he's orchestrating everything and it you lose that kind of immersive I am in a story sense sometimes and you can recognize like oh this is a story that somebody is writing yeah. as opposed to this is something that I'm living but I've never felt that way with any of his short stories no. I I think that they're brilliant that's interesting I've never read any of his short stories but as anyone who has listened to more than one episode of my podcast has heard me write about before I have a problem with short stories in general mm -hmm. in any genre I have trouble getting into them yep. uh, but with Neil Gaiman you know I, I the first thing of his I read was American Gods because people had raved uh, about it mm -hmm. and I was like mm, yeah it's a great concept but the execution of it is not really doing it for yeah. me yeah. and uh, and then a long time later I read 
The Ocean at the End of the Lane and the Graveyard Book and mm-hmm. oh Stardust. I saw the movie of Stardust before I read the book and I loved all of those mm-hmm. and that, that whole sort of they all have that kind of magical fairy tale quality uh, and now of course everybody's raving about American Gods again because of the TV series mm-hmm. and I'm sort of like oh should I give it another try or you know did I was I just missing something the first time it's but, the worst feeling when everybody yeah. loves something and you're like what did I do wrong oh I know <laughs> I know where did I go yeah. but, but I think it, it, it was probably the experience that convinced me that books can be really really good and people can really really love them but they won't necessarily work for me mm-hmm. and that's okay yeah you know and and that you can have reasons to to to, to not like something, uh, to to decide that something isn't for you. That's not just a comment a commentary on the quality no. of that thing. Yes. You know, some you know it, it could be you know a genre that doesn't work for you. It could be a particular writing style, a particular character. You know, there's lots of things that that doesn't take away from the quality of of a, of a piece of writing. But you can still very reasonably say, no, I didn't like that. Other people might, that's yeah. wonderful. But for me, no, that that wasn't my kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's how it should be, right? Yeah. Because we're different people. Yes. Everybody, like, if we all like the same books, there'd be a problem. That would be very boring. And I yeah, think that's true with books in general. For me personally, I find that even more true with fantasy than other genres. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot in fantasy that, you know, someone else who likes some of the same books I do will read something and say, oh, I love this, you're going to love it, you have to read this. And it just leaves, like, my husband was reading um, Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn mm-hmm. over the winter, and he was loving them. And a, a co-worker had recommended them. I was like, oh, I have to try these. And I got through the first one. I think I got through the second one. I started into the third one, and it was such a slog for me. And finally, I applied my die in a fire test, which is for all novels, not just, just fantasy. If I turned the page and all these characters died in a fire... Would I care? Would I feel anything emotionally? And I was like, nope, they could all be wiped out in a massive fire right now. Wouldn't care. Not worth going on. But yet, you know, a lot of people rave about that yeah. series. So it's, it's. I mean, all of all of literature, all books, I think, are very subjective. But for me, fantasy, I think, is even more personal and, and subjective. Well, this was my Game of Thrones experience. Oh, really? Too. We yeah. have very similar feelings. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and again, that's not to say that it's not a well-written novel. No. And, and, and I think what George R. R. Martin is trying to do there are really... Uh, Bring, bringing a very adult perspective on traditional fantasy tropes yes. is a very commendable thing. Mm-hmm. But I read the first book, and my wife was reading it at the same time. Uh-huh. We, we, we were actually on our honeymoon. We were, we were on a cruise ship, and we weren't really enjoying the cruise, but we brought these books along and said, hey, let, let, and we each had a copy, so we said, well, let's let's sit down and let's read this, because uh-huh. I think the TV series had actually started by this point. I'd owned the book mm-hmm. for a while, but it was in the long, long queue of books to read mm-hmm. uh, that never, I never seemed to reach the end of. <laughs> and, and we started reading it, and it was kind of intrigued in the first you know few chapters, and then I remember we both got to about the halfway point because we were reading at more or less the same pace. And I remember turning to Nicole and I said, are you enjoying this? <laughs> she looked at me and she, she said, not really. Uh, I said, neither am I. I said, I hate all these people. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big problem with George R. R. Martin is that yeah. before you get too far, you pretty much do hate all these people. Now, I do like the books, but I can totally see that as a legit. No, it, it's a bunch of miserable people dying miserably. <laughs> and doing horrible things to and each doing other. doing horrible things to each other. <laughs> and, 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 and again, that's not to say that it's not a well-written book, because I think it very much is. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and a lot of the things that he was doing in there, I could really appreciate what he was trying to do. But I finished the book, and I thought, you know, there are at least four or five yeah. more of these. Do, do I want to spend, and, and especially with the commitment 
of reading a novel, which is yes. so much greater than sitting down to watch an, to watch an episode of a TV show yeah, or even a movie. Yeah, sure. Do I really want to spend hours and hours and hours in the company of these people? And I decided no. Probably not. And you felt the same way, Game of Thrones? I did. I so I I, I read the first one and. I think in the first one I had some some optimism left. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, you know, this this is a long series. It could mm-hmm. it could, could you take know? a turn for yes, the more it positive. it could take a turn for the more positive. And everyone had told me, I feel like everyone had told me maybe the third novel was the best one. I don't remember what like the consensus was, but I had a lot of good friends who had read them. They were like, just make it to this one. Uh-huh. So I know I read one, two, and three, and then at the end I was like, no, this is not getting <laughs> any more positive. Yeah. I'm getting so depressed and. I am a person who, in my earlier years, would often complain to my dad that sometimes novels were too happy. Like, this is a war. Why are people <laughs> Why dying? Is yes, like, yeah, what is happening? Yeah. Everybody is happy and everything mm-hmm. is working out for the best. And I didn't like that either. Mm-hmm. So then I obviously, I took a lot of flack from my dad when I didn't really like Game of Thrones because he had given it to me. And he yeah. was like, what? Like, how can I please you? I was like, I don't know. There's a gentle medium somewhere. <laughs> well, it's and I think that's very much what George R. R. Martin is deliberately, you know, reacting against in writing those books is the fantasy where the hero is untouchable and you know, yes, he's going to go through hardship, but Ned Stark's going to emerge triumphant at the end. No, he's not. (laughs) Spoiler uh, for, you know, I think everyone on the planet who ever was going to read or watch Game of Thrones probably has by now, so I'm not too worried about spoiling it. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those series that I like very much. It's not one of my top favorites, but I do like it a lot. But I can totally understand why people don't, too. Mm-hmm. I can see, you know, it is a dark world. And I also think he's he's basing it a lot more in real history yes. than than most fantasy is. And, and yes. history is messy. And it is often full of horrible people doing horrible things. Yes. Maybe true. it's because I read so much historical fiction, too, that I'm like, yeah, this is everything is bleak anyway. We, all, we always <laughs> knew <do> that. <laughs> the good guys are going to get their heads chopped off. Yeah. And, and I think it's it's certainly traditionally been an appeal of fantasy as a genre in all of its many, many manifestations that it provides, it, it, it is to a greater or lesser extent a form of escapism. Yes, yeah. Uh, and, and I think you're right, Sarah. I think that in many cases is vastly overplayed. And you do yes. just get these very, very simplistic worlds where, you know, you know, strong men and brave women come together to fight really nasty people. And, yes. Yeah. And, and that's cute occasionally. Yes. But I think you can, especially as you get, get more and more mature in your, in your reading tastes, I think that runs its course and, and you need a little bit of variety in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the notion of a fantasy experience that doesn't have even the, the the hint of an escapism that that you can't look at and think yeah I could live there that 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 might be yeah. fun that, that 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 would be it would be fun to put myself in the shoes of those characters no. there is no character <laughs> in Game of Thrones that I would want to be well that's interesting because one of my questions that I sent people before the podcast is if you could live in the world of a book what world would you want to live in and I think everybody's agreed nobody wants to live in Westeros no. nobody wants to live in the world of Game of Thrones Definitely but is not. there a fantasy novel or series that you think strikes that balance really well of having like the realism but also the escapism. I don't know. I mean, there, there, there are so many answers, and some of them are just too obvious to even pick. I mean, like, who doesn't want to be in the wizarding world, for example? Like, who doesn't want to want to be able to do magic? You know, excluding the war. Uh-huh. Yes. I mean, post Voldemort's yeah. demise. Again, spoilers, yeah. but um, <laughs> but. Uh, in terms of other fantasy worlds, I think there are elements of lots of different uh-huh. fantasy worlds that I enjoy and would like to kind of bring together to create mm-hmm. my own world. But I can't, I can't think of one that I would be like, yes, 
transplant yeah. me here. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, and it's hard, it's even harder. Sometimes fantasy worlds are not kind to women. So no, that is exactly. true. Some yeah. of them that yeah. seem really exciting, I also might not yeah. do so well there. And if nothing else, you know, so often they have this, you know, they're, they're, they're so clearly based on the medieval Earth experience. Yes. I'm thinking, you know, I could live there, but I'd really miss running water. Yes. <laughs> sure would miss that indoor <laughs> plumbing. Yeah. Which is the same way I feel about traveling to the past. Have either of you guys read uh, Lev Grossman's The Magicians? I have. Yeah, which I think plays really interestingly on that whole idea of what if you got into the world of your favorite fantasy mm -hmm. novel, which, you know, the characters in that do get to do, and it's not that great. It doesn't <laughs> work out well for them. No. 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 no I, I think that's why, as I've gotten older, more and more, I've found much more appeal in more urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. You know, m more fantasy that's based in, if not the real world, then something that's very recognizably close to it. Uh -huh. uh, and, and that's not to say that I don't still have a very, very soft spot for Middle Earth yeah. or for Crin or for Narnia or, uh -huh. you know, mm -hmm. take your pick. Um, but I think in terms of books that... Uh, at that as an adult, I can look at and say, yeah, you know, this, th this is working for me on a level beyond just sheer entertainment, mm -hmm. uh, or beyond just the writer's craft, which more and more is how Tolkien ap appeals to me now, mm -hmm. uh, the, when I was a teenager. You know, it's something like, you know, Gaiman's, you know, dark fantasies that I can uh -huh. look at and say, yeah, you know, th there, there, there's a bunch of things working there, and that's a world that would be interesting if it were actually real. Uh-huh. Because, it almost is. It's just it's our world with just that interesting little fantastical Twist, wrinkle, yeah, yeah. and uh, and and it would be neat if you know if you if there really were this secret underworld, you know, in in, in London that uh, was there, and you know, yeah, if, if you somehow found yourself immersed in that, you know, that that could be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I have found in recent years that they. Urban fantasy appeals to me because it's much more imaginative. Because you take, at least after reading fantasy after fantasy after fantasy, that's set in that kind of medieval... Yes, yeah. I guess yeah. location. European. Yes. Medieval Europe. Really, and that's really what, what it is. Are, yeah. uh, that like Western European yeah. idea of the, the traditional fantasy novel. They all borrow from Tolkien so heavily, and they're all based kind of on the same tropes, the same settings, the same races, the same people that it, it becomes a little dull after a while. But I feel urban fantasy, and it's risen a lot in the like the last couple of decades, people can really take one you can take you can tweak one small thing and, and create this whole world that fits, you know, so well, just parallel to the one that we know. Mm -hmm. That to me it takes a lot more imagination to create that, to create something that borrows from a world that already exists than to create this totally new immersive world because for me I just haven't seen a fantasy like a traditional fantasy novel that has come up with something truly unique in such a long time and maybe mm. somebody might have a suggestion yeah. for something that could totally change my mind but yeah so what what are what, what's an urban fantasy or what is a writer or a series or a book that you would recommend that you well I mean Neverwhere's obviously yeah. yes. is yeah. great Shannon's book is, no. is yes. urban fantasy which I really enjoyed and it's great actually because it's St. John's yes. so I had I have a, a funny relationship with Shannon's book so I read Shannon's book before I knew Shannon uh -huh. so one of my friends had taken a math class with him and he had kind of told them at the beginning of this math class that he also wrote a novel I think it was fairly close to the publication date like, it had just recently come out when she took your class. And I was like, oh, cool. And they had a copy at the Munn Library. Uh -huh. So I went and borrowed it and read it there. And then years later, Shannon's wife was in my med school class. And we oh, became okay. friends. And then I met Shannon uh -huh. and uh, was, A, a little starstruck, and B, really happy because <laughs> now we're, we're good friends. Um, but, yeah, so read his novel again. And it's so interesting because it takes place in St. John's 
but not. And it pulls on some of the history of St. John's, some of the landmarks of St. John's that you're familiar with seeing and puts just that little twist on it where you can just really see how much thought went in. It, it takes a lot of imagination. Shannon's got a great imagination anyway. And it's, so it was, a, it was really, really fun to read. But other ones like the Dresden Files are pretty, uh-huh. pretty popular urban fantasy. They're not my favorite. Um, I find it hard sometimes to connect with the the prototypical male hero. Some <laughs> some characteristics yeah. that get thrown in there are often great. Uh-huh. But there are some high points of that series that are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like one one series that I really like. That's kind of a a mix up. So that's I guess it's urban fantasy, but it's also um, oh gosh, what's the word the with the mechanics and steampunk. Yes, so it's like steampunk kind uh-huh. of is um, by Gail Carriger. Okay, she has a series of uh, a woman who the the world. I guess it, they take place in London and they're the vampires. Yes, the yes. Paris Architecture. My wife, right. my Nicole wife read them. these. And yes, loves them. so she loves them too, and they're so good. So they take place in London and there are werewolves and vampires, but not kind of your stereotypical werewolf vampire uh-huh. story. And then you have the main character who. Um, has no soul. So uh-huh. vampires and werewolves can't harm her. And it's about her kind of misadventures around London. She becomes part of a special task force to uh-huh. investigate the underworld. And they're really, really good. Oh, yeah, they sound yeah, cool. They're fun. I like them a lot. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read a lot of urban fantasy, but I, you know, I often want to read more. But again, if it's if, if a genre or even a subgenre is one you don't know, you're kind of like, where do I even start? Mm-hmm. You know, what's a good play? Which is one of the reasons I like doing this podcast and sharing book, people's book recommendations with others, because it gives you a place to kind of get into a to a genre. Now, to go back for a minute to your book, Shannon, you're sure. one of the very few Newfoundland writers I know who, who writes or has written fantasy. Uh, and I, too, loved your book, The Dying Days. Thank you. Are you writing anymore, or do you have anything else in the works? Are we to look look for something new? Uh, it, it is something that I have every intention of doing. Uh, <laughs> it, it, life has gotten in the way. As it, uh, as it does, a, a, yeah. As it does, uh, because The Dying Days came out in 2006, and I, and I, I really wrote it in 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then I had a PhD to finish. Yeah. And, 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 and then I, I, I had a a wedding to to plan, yes. and and a wife then uh, finishing off med school, and yeah. then buy a house, and all, and all those becoming an adult things, yes. which for me were slightly delayed because <laughs> because I I was a student for so long, but eventually they had to catch up with me, and and, and now of course work, um, but the the I I, I think the the big thing that I'm still waiting for is just an idea that really enthuses me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I love the process of writing, of writing the dying days. Uh, and I was really, really happy to, to get such great feedback once it came out. Because to be honest, when I wrote it, it was never with the, the idea that it would actually get published. Okay. Mostly I, I really wanted to sit down and prove to myself that I could sit down and write a full 300 page, 100,000 word novel mm-hmm. that I had that in me. And I assumed that, you know, I, I, I'd chop it around because I wanted uh-huh. to see, you know, what, what people thought of it. But I, but really I thought the best case scenario was that I get some really good feedback and that the next time I tried this, now I'd come armed with all, with some really good notes and some things that I did well and some things that I really yeah. needed to work on. And that was the goal. And that it did wind up getting published was just a, a brilliant surprise. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. So, so the, the, the really nice thing is that because it came out and so many more people got to read it, because it was actually published, is now I, I, I do have all these, this great feedback uh-huh. that, that is stored away, that is in, in the, in the back, that, that, that's making the rounds of the back of my head. And 
I'm really looking forward at some point to having the opportunity to really bring all those ideas and all those those notes and all the on all that feedback to bear uh-huh. on, on a substantial piece of writing again. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I hope it will be soon. Uh, I, I, but you know, I, I don't just want to sit down and write for the sake of writing. Yeah, and you haven't had the one great idea and, yet. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you know I, I was talking, somebody asked me a, a couple of weeks ago, same kind of thing, you uh-huh. know, when, when's the next book coming out? And I, and I said, well, honestly, I've been too happy. <laughs> uh, because the, the dying days came out of a, of, of a situation where I'd been through a, a pretty nasty breakup and I wasn't feeling very good about myself. Uh-huh. And my, 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 my graduate thesis wasn't, wasn't really going anywhere at the time. And, and, and so I was, I was a little bit miserable. And it was this wonderful, cathartic fuel for writing. And since then, you know, I've got to say, knock wood, my, my, things have gone pretty well. Yeah. And, and, and I haven't had any, any particularly horrible things that happened to me that I, that I want to think, huh, I want to work through that in writing. Huh. So not that I'm wishing bad things no, to happen to myself. No, see, now I'd like you to with another book, but I don't <laughs> yeah, want to ill yeah. wish you and like you know, anything terrible to happen that you have to write a book to work through it. But but, but, yeah. but it definitely helps. You know, it's the yeah. nice thing about writing is that it can be such a cathartic experience. Yeah, it can be very therapeutic yeah. for and, sure. Uh, yeah. and, so, and that was certainly the case with, with the first one. So for the second one, if you, if you see a book uh, written by me on the schedules, you know, it might be that some great tragedy has been visited upon me, but uh, but I'm hoping that I just you know finally hit upon that idea that I'm thinking I don't need to be miserable. This is just no, a really just great, such a great idea. idea. Yeah. I want to explore. So. Yeah. That's the option that I'm hoping for. Yeah, yes, well, for sure. It's Absolutely. the it's the better option for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, one question I often like to ask people is, what were the books that had a big impact on you when you were young? Because we're also shaped by what we read when we're a kid, when we're a teenager. What are the ones that stand out to? Uh, this is something I've thought about a lot lately. I have two young kids, actually. So I have uh-huh. a two-year-old and a three-year-old. And my daughter, especially, who's three, loves books. She's obsessed. Oh, she carries them around her doll stroller. She's just, she loves to read. So I put a lot of thought into, like, what do I introduce to them first? What mm-hmm. should I get them to read? What would I love for them to read? And that's a double-edged sword because they may hate the books that I loved. Yes. And that will be heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. not looking forward to that moment. But I have spent a lot of time kind of curating that childhood library and mm-hmm. making sure that I know what should be in there. Um, so in terms of children's books, so the my earliest memories of reading um, are with my dad. And uh-huh. my mom and my dad both read to me, but my dad is the person in my, my home who loves books as much yeah. as I do. So yeah. we spend a lot of time reading, swapping books. And my earliest memories are of him reading Harold and the Purple Crayon oh, over and over book. and yeah. over, which I feel like kind of fueled my love of fantasy. Uh-huh. Because if there's a book that kind of encompasses the childhood imagination, it, it is. is yes, Harold I read that a crayon. lot to my kids too. Yeah. When little, yeah. And it's fantastic. So that would, that would be my earliest book memories but my a book that kind of shaped my childhood was probably Watership Down. Okay. So it was the first book, the first adult novel, let's call it, even though it's kind of geared toward children, that I read on my own. Mm-hmm. So my dad had read a lot to me. So we had read uh, Narnia together. We had read a bunch of uh, Roald Dahl together. He had read The Hobbit to me. And The Hobbit was the last kind of full-length novel that he read aloud to uh-huh. me. And then after that began to pass books down. Uh-huh. So Watership Down was one of the first ones that I ever read on my own. And it brought together so many things that I did love at that time. So it's very much that heroic struggle story. Um, with Hazel and and the rest of the rabbits. I really like when there's an element of um, 
when linguistics comes to play in a novel. So okay. I love, and this is one of the things I love about fantasy, is you often get these differences in either dialogues or dialects. You get new languages, mm -hmm. you get, and that's what makes Tolkien so appealing yes, too, because course, he was so yeah. good at it. Yeah. Um, but even, I just love when there are new words, new ways that people interact. And so I loved all the little like bunny language that they use in the book, the different words they have for different predators for the things mm -hmm. that they do. So I really liked that element. It was very much the smart, capable hero rising up against kind of the strong, boastful rabbits, which mm -hmm. I, which also appealed to me as like this young, nerdy child. Like, uh -huh. oh, it's the smart, like put together one who's saving the day. It's yes. not the big soldier rabbit. So uh -huh. I, I really liked that too. But it was the first adult book that I read and it stuck with me. I read it all the time. I read it. Not every year, but every couple of years for sure I reread it. So do you it. think that's one that you will read aloud to your kids or that you will let them pass on? It's things? hard, right? So I, I definitely want to read them The Hobbit because I have those memories, but then I'm also torn, do I get my dad to read them The Hobbit? Because he read them too. These are complicated questions. Yes, But yes. I did enjoy the process of reading it myself and then bringing it to my dad to read. So in those early days, we often read books simultaneously. So he would read them after I went to bed right. and would go through a couple of chapters and then he would give it to me in the morning and I would either bring it to school and read it when my work was done or read it after school and we would do it kind of book club style. Oh, oh what a great gift you yeah. dad gave you so with you like that. That's yeah, fabulous. it was amazing. It was, it was, it was a great. He I, was. I will say about the Hobbit. <laughs> my kids, both my kids, abiding memory of me reading the Hobbit aloud mm -hmm. to them is me making up tunes for all the for songs in the Hobbit. And yeah. I mean, I'm not a very musical person, so this was not well done. Uh, I think it might even stick in their minds because it was so poorly done. But it's so fun to do stuff like you know that and do that reading aloud. And you sure sound like you were lucky in, in your dad's uh, for sure. commitment to reading both to and with you. That's fantastic. Definitely yeah. yes. All of my love of fantasy for sure comes from him. So all of the books, I find now even, I go back to read, there are lots of children's books and certainly young adult books, which didn't even become popular until after I'd kind of grown out of that age category. But there are lots of young adult books that I go back and read now mm -hmm. because I kind of went from children's books and kind of your little mini chapter books like mm -hmm. The Babysitter's Club or yeah. whatever, straight to adult fantasy because those were the books that I had in my house. We lived in rural uh -huh. Newfoundland. There wasn't, the closest library at that time was in Cornerbrook, which was two hours away. Right. So it was basically the library of the library of dad <laughs> what i borrowed so it's a very curated collection that you yes, have to choose from for sure what about you shannon what my, my parents neither of them are particularly big fantasy fans mm -hmm. so i i didn't get my interest in fantasy from them at all mm -hmm. uh but i was challenged at a very early age to go find a proper book and sit down and read it on your own uh -huh. And so I was reading full length. I remember, I think I was still three, maybe three and a half. And my mother had a really old edition of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland oh, yeah, with yeah. really tiny print. And, and, and I think I'd probably seen bits from the Disney movie or something uh -huh. like that. So I, I want to read that. And she said, oh, you know, I think that might be a little mm -hmm. too hard for you right now because I'm still, you know, having trouble following the words al along the line and yeah. that kind of thing. So I took a ruler and I started reading that along oh, to, to, to help guide yeah. me along the line. And by the time I'd made it all the way through Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, I, don't, I didn't need the ruler anymore. <laughs> and then I was pretty much reading anything I could get my hands on. But a lot of my childhood was spent reading mystery novels. Okay. And it's still a genre that I like to yeah. come back to every now and, every now and again. Uh, there's a great Canadian uh, series of mystery novels. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to blank on the author's name off the top of my head. Uh, but it's about a 10-year-old, 10, 11-year-old detective in, in England who's, a, who's also a budding chemist. I call okay. Flavia de Luce. Oh, and, uh, okay, yes. The first yeah, one is, those, um, yeah. um, um, 
The sweetness, of, the sweetness of the bottom of the pie. pie. Yes, I yeah. haven't read it, but it's and, one and, of those I've looked at. And, yeah. that, and, and that's fantastic. And that's kind uh-huh. of reignited my, my, my enjoyment of mystery. But so as a kid, I read a lot of Hardy Boys and Nancy oh, Drew yes. and Bobsy Twins books. Yeah. And didn't really come back to fantasy until I got a box set of the complete Narnia collection oh, yeah. for Christmas when I think I was I was either nine or ten. I got them when I was nine yeah. for, for Christmas, yeah. And, and absolutely loved it. Yeah. And as soon as I'd finished devouring th- those books, I was like, well, what can what I read that's kind of similar? And that's when I read The Hobbit. Uh-huh. And then and then The Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and and all kinds and uh, the Priding books. Uh, the, the Black Cauldron and stuff like that and a bunch of others. Um, and, and so that really kind of focused my reading for a long time to come. But I think probably the single most influential book that I read when I was younger, uh, was, uh, Madeline L- Lengel and not, not A Wrinkle in Time, okay. which is probably the one that people would assume yes, that I jumped of course, to. Yes. The third one in that series, A Swiftly a Tilting s- Planet. Swiftly Tilting Planet. Is, yeah. is probably still, if, if I was pushed to name one, probably still my favorite book of all time. Wow. Because it, I love this idea of bringing together so many different ideas. There's a fantasy element. There's a time travel element, mm-hmm. uh, which gets into my love of Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, b- but it's set in the real world. There's a yes. history element. Uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's kind of a spiritual element there, mm-hmm. but it's not, not hitting you over the head with yeah. that. And yeah. all of the, these things come together in such an amazing story. I remember the first time I read it, I think I was, 11 years old, maybe 12, and I just sat up all night. And, and I, I, wait, I, I read it until my parents said I had to turn on my light. And then as soon as I could tell they were, they were asleep, I turned the light back on again oh, and, yes. and must have just read until dawn because I was just completely absorbed in it. Oh, and I still go back to it every 10 years. Now, what's interesting about that series is, again, everybody jumps to A Wrinkle in Time as being, yeah. and it is a great classic. Oh, it is. The one that I loved out of that was A Wind in the Door, which uh, is the one where they go into the inside the yes. body and into yes. the cell. I love, that one as well. I love that book. And I was like, I was the kind of student who was a good student because I was this conscientious nerd who had to get A's and everything, but I had zero natural love for science, so I didn't enjoy anything in science classes. Until in high school biology, we got to the cell, and I was like, oh, I've been to all these places. <laughs> yes. I remember all this from, from this novel. You and knew the mitochondria. Yeah, the mitochondria has been so cool. I'll always remember that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it made me wonder, why hasn't there been more fantasy written inside the human body? You mm-hmm. know, So uh, it's interesting that we both had different ones out of that series. That Of course, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward now to the movie adaptation of, of A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. The trailer sure looks good. really It does. Yeah, it's it's amazing. a tricky story. It's to tell visually because mm-hmm. it is such an imaginative story. It's, yes. it's such a story where, where where so much much of it is very abstract mm-hmm. and lives in the mind. Yeah. And you know, I remember Disney did a TV movie version maybe fifteen years ago, yeah. which just you know it, it was just uh, it was the weak compromise on yeah. pretty much every element of it. It wasn't bad, but it was nothing that 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 I looked at and thought, oh, you know, that 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 was worth watching. So <laughs> yeah. It fundamentally just kind of existed. Yeah. Uh but this one it looks like they've they've really kind of pushed that mm-hmm. to uh to the next level and uh yeah, I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic yeah. that this will be the, 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 the visual telling of that story that it deserves. And that's, uh, that's the way I feel about any adaptation is cautious. Like, I feel like we're living in kind of a golden age now for fantasy and sci-fi because of what you can do with CGI and special effects. Mm-hmm. They can bring to the screen so many stories that, that couldn't have been in the past. But, you know, sometimes it's super well done and sometimes it's 
not well done. Yes. And, you know, you almost don't want to see adaptations made of some of your favorite books because how can it ever be as good as what's in your imagination? I think that's also a drawback right now. So the market is becoming so saturated with fantasy and people are looking mm-hmm. at it as an instant hit because it's done so well yes. over the past, let's say, like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm that I feel like sometimes there's less care being put into it. They're like, oh, this yeah. is a fantasy novel that did really well. We're going to capitalize on this. We don't need to put the same kind of intricate care and yeah. detail and love into it as, yeah. let's say, with The Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, yes. which was a, an amazing level of, yeah. of, of craftsmanship and detail that mm-hmm. went into it. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, I think that's a great example because that wasn't just a movie where they basically took the book and turned it into dialogue and, and scene directions. Yeah. You know, that, Peter Jackson fundamentally transforms that story in a number of really key respects. And I know Tolkien diehards, to an extent, didn't really appreciate that. You know, they wanted to yeah. see Tom Bombadil up on the screen. Yeah. You know, and you the know, scouring they, of the Shire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. but if you look at the decisions that he made, and not that I would necessarily agree with every single one yeah. of them, but there's, in, in, from a filmmaker's perspective, they all make a lot of sense. I agree. Yes. I, I think that's a brilliantly done trilogy. Yeah. And then I think things just went off the rails with The Hobbit. <laughs> Because Lord of the Rings was a yes. labor of love, I think. Yes. Like yes. it came Absolutely. from this place of I don't we don't even know if this movie is gonna sell a single ticket or yes. what is gonna happen, yeah. but we want it to be made so badly that we are gonna put every ounce yeah. of love that we have for this yes. series into yeah. the making of the film. And that I think that's another I think that totally comes across. Yeah. I yes. agree. Yeah. Yeah. And then well I think the Hobbit bears the scars of all the turmoil that was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Yes. Guillermo del Toro's in, now he's not. Yeah. You know, it's gonna be two movies up, now it's gonna be three. Yeah, I just feel like the decision yeah. to make three movies out of it was was such an error, you know, because it involved so much padding and stretching and, yeah. and filling, you know, that well, uh, and, and they tried to turn it into they they, they that, tried they tried to portray it as if it was tonally uh, the same as Lord of the Rings. Yes, it's, 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 it's a children's novel. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. It, you know, they, and whereas with the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien is very much using this as the, the framework on which to tell this incredibly detailed backstory yes. and, 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 uh, about the, the culture and the languages of, of this imagined world of his. The Hobbit was a story he told his kids at night. Yeah, you know, and, and, and even the things that we think now tie in with, that, with his larger legendarium were things that he went back and inserted years after the novel was originally written. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah, you know yeah. the whole bit about you know the, the about the ring being the one ring and, yeah. that, and having this connection that, that wasn't there. That, that wasn't there when the Hobbit originally came yeah. out. He went back and rewrote the chapter with Gollum mm-hmm. so that it to fit, fit in better it. with what he wrote subsequently. And and so I think you, it, it, it's a movie that had to be made differently than the Lord of the Rings. Yes, but they didn't want to to take that chance. Yeah, and so they tried to make it. Another big the, epic another saga. Lord of the Rings, yeah, which, and, and, which, no, which did not work, no, which let it down in the end, yeah. unfortunately. Um, another question that that I love to ask people is, uh, and I think this kind of relates to the thing of fantasy being so subjective, and what one person loves, another person won't necessarily. But you know, is there a book or an author or a series that you love to recommend to people, or you wish you could get more people to read? I think, it, and are we talking strictly fantasy? Not here? necessarily. No, that's that's kind of what was my starting point, but but you can go far beyond that. So I have in my life. There's a book that I've given to many people, um, which is called Star Girl by Jerry Spinelli, okay, and I feel like it, it should be required reading in the like primary elementary 
curriculum. Uh-huh. It's just about this girl um, whose name is Star Girl who comes to town and she's just an eccentric character. Uh-huh. She has all of these qualities that are not seen in the people around her. She does not change herself to fit her peers and it's about kind of her journey through school and her interactions with this one boy whose name I think is Leo. Uh-huh. I read this a very long time ago. And it's just a novel about loving yourself, not compromising your integrity, being who you really are, which has come up a lot more in recent years, again, with the rise of young adult literature and kind of Uh the focus that we've had on that specific point of adolescence. But it's the first novel that I read that really made me feel like you can be yourself and it will work out in the end. Like, do not compromise who you are to suit the needs of the people around you, Mm -hmm. which I really appreciated as a child. And it's the one book that I have that I have owned many copies of and continuously bears highlights and Mm -hmm. post-it notes and and all of of that, which I I definitely recommend to people. Um, But fantasy-wise, it would probably be the Mary Stewart... Arthurian okay, saga. Yes. I don't know if yeah. either of you guys no. have read that. I now again, I started it one of them years ago and mm-hmm. didn't really get into it. Didn't no. get into it. No. And I read this I, I was listening when you guys I was listening to one of your other podcasts uh-huh. where people were having the same kind of split opinions about orcs and crake. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that happens sometimes. But I, does, I love them. Yeah. I went through a huge King Arthur kick when I was mm-hmm. younger. So there were a bunch. Again, this came from my dad. He was really interested yeah. in King Arthur. And so I got past a ton of books. Yeah. Did you read The Mists of Avalon? Yes. That was my big Arthurian yes. book, which I love. But then I so. didn't jump from that to the Mary Stewart ones. I tried to, and they didn't grab me in the same way. But And maybe because you went in the opposite yes, direction. So I had read Mary Stewart been, first yeah. and then went on to Mists of Avalon after. So that was one that my dad actually didn't own. So he uh-huh. had had, like, the Mary Stewart. There was this series for kids that had come out um, about Merlin specifically. I don't remember the name of the series, but there were five, I think. And they were like the Mirror of Merlin, the Wings of Merlin. There were a bunch of different ones. Um, And then he had uh, Fire Lord, which is more kind of focused on like the tribal peoples of uh, the UK at that time. and, Uh And how they interacted. And more so if a much more probably true-to-life depiction of what it must have been like at that point in time. Um, Read those and then just kind of odds and ends, Once Mm -hmm. and Future King, all of those ones came together. Um, But then I read The Mists of Avalon on my own. I kind of sought Uh it out and hugely influential on the... (laughs) Not so much for fantasy, though. More... Mm -hmm. I feel like that was one of the books that led me to read more books written by women. Okay. Because I would very much describe my dad as a feminist. Like, he has three daughters. He has been very involved and interested in all aspects of, you know, raising Mm -hmm. three female children. But overwhelmingly, the books that he had were written by men. Okay, so that and was, so that was the first. Entry, yeah. yeah, it's interesting because Miss of Avalon was the first version of the King Arthur story I ever read or was ever exposed to, and it's such a—it's kind of a feminist revisionist yes. retelling of it. Yep. But of course, because it was the first one I'd read, everything Arthurian I ever read or watched after that was filtered through. You know, <laughs> sure. my perception of the Miss of Avalon, which was yeah, a hugely influential book for me. Interesting. What about you? Any books that you would like to recommend or would like wish more people would read? Yeah, uh, a couple. I think one kind of at the younger end of the spectrum, and then one more for adult readers. Uh, one of the was I, I very much well. We've already talked about urban fantasy. Yeah. And and I like my fantasy with a little twinge of horror mixed in. Uh-huh. You know, something certainly Gaiman does very well. Yeah. Um, and I think where I first saw that blending work really, really effectively was in a series of, of children's novels uh, by a guy called John Belairs, okay. who unfortunately passed away in 1991 at the tragically early age of 53. Oh. And and although he, he was quite, quite prolific, he's wrote, I think, 14, 15 novels, mm-hmm. 
the fact that I think his career really only spanned a little over a decade, I think, has meant that he's never really got, gotten the, the notoriety or, or the mm-hmm. penetration I think he really deserves. Uh, so he wrote a, a basically three different series, although tonally they're all pretty much, they're, they're all pretty similar. Uh, and, and it's about, uh, uh usually a, a young, early teenage boy who's thrust into, into a series of, of horror-laced, uh, misadventures. Uh, the first one, uh, that he, that he wrote is called The House with a Clock in Its Walls. Oh, what a great and, title. Uh, and all his titles are, are just these, these really evocative kinds of ideas that you, you see and you think, oh geez, I don't know what this is about, but it sounds really creepy. Uh, and, and Edward Gorey, who mm-hmm. used to do for people who used to watch um, uh, Mystery on PBS, mm-hmm. he did the animation for the, for the opening, and, and he just does these really great gothic, creepy illustrations. He did illustrations for all of these uh, okay. for all of these books, and I think that was probably what originally first really grabbed me. And they're fantastic. Oh. They're spooky, they're, but you can give them to an 11, 12-year-old, and, and they're not going to have nightmares yeah. for a week. Yeah. Uh, but even as an adult reader, I can still enjoy going back and looking at looking at them and thinking, well, they might not really scare me anymore, but I can really appreciate how he cultivates this atmosphere, this really mm-hmm. tense, creepy atmosphere. Uh, so, th- so those are really good. And, and if, it, if you can find uh, one of those, and as I say, there's 13 or 14 of them, uh, they're well worth, worth checking out. Uh, at the, the, the more adult reader end of the spectrum, uh, Roger Zelazny is a fantasy okay, author yes. who, again, really, really prolific died tragically young as well. Uh, and, and because of that, again, I don't think he's somebody that necessarily you can find in bookstores as easily as, as mm-hmm. maybe you should, but he, he's got a series of 10 books, uh, about, called The Chronicles of Amber. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, I haven't read them, but I've heard of them. Yeah. Fascinatingly imaginative pieces of work, which blend fantasy, uh, with an edge of, of urban horror, uh, but also the, these really big ideas about parallel worlds and, mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of really just, out there concepts that he somehow brings together into a really interesting set of fairly short books mm-hmm. about the, this this royal family that exists at the heart of, of creation and, mm-hmm. and we live in shadows of this of this world which are variations on on the original theme and they are they're in terms of really high concept stuff mm-hmm. that nonetheless is grounded in very relatable characters mm. uh they're the, those amber books are are great the first one is nine princes in amber okay. and and i think once you read that you'll you'll be sucked into the rest then because they oh. they are hard to put down yeah i can't remember who it was in my life who loved those books but I, it may have been an ex-boyfriend many many years ago or something but they they've sort of been on my radar for sure. a really long time but you know again the ones you never get around to so I know for me, like I, the reason I wanted to do uh, an, an episode talking with people about fantasy was it was so much on my mind because I spent the whole spring and first part of the summer rereading all of Robin Hobb's Realm of the Elderlings mm. books. Mm-hmm. And I love those books so much. And I feel like nobody ever talks about them or has read them outside of, say, you know, a Robin Hobb fan site or something. Uh, but I love those so much. And it's just such a richly you know, detailed uh, world. And so, you know, I mean, to develop this world and all these different countries and sets of characters over 16 books is like, that's astonishing to me. How do you do that? Keeping it all straight, uh, making sure they... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other, uh, my other favorite fantasy novelist who I feel like doesn't get nearly enough love uh, is Canadian writer Guy Gavriel Kay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, love his, uh, you know, started off like a lot of people with his, his Fionnivar tapestry, which is much more sort of the typical epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. But then I love what he's done more in his later books where he kind of picks a very specific place and historical time in our world and then just gives it what he calls the sort of quarter turn into fantasy. Yes. So there's some uh, really interesting stuff there. So, yeah, I feel like there's, you know, uh, there's just pockets within fantasy where, you know, you might love this, but somebody else may never have picked it up or heard of it. And I'm sure he feeds into your love of historical fiction. Oh, definitely, yeah. And that's another thing that I really love is that there's such a crossover between fantasy and historical fiction. Mm -hmm. So, for example, with the the two, Children of Earth and Sky, and much of the other ones that were set in basically China, Mm -hmm. you know, with, with very slight differences. And always, the fantastical elements in them are always quite small and quite limited, but there are always these sort of magic or folkloric elements that you know that come to life in the way they wouldn't in historical fiction so yeah that's for me that those those guy gabriel k books are a real hybrid of my love of fantasy and and history too sure. yeah um anything else that uh any other books that people are that you're thinking about or feel strongly about or want to recommend or talk about that we haven't touched on yet Two that have been coming up for me recently are um, The Dark Tower. So The Dark Tower. I've been thinking about that a lot recently with Mm -hmm. the movie coming out. And then also, um, Shannon, I don't think you've read these ones. Um, The His Dark Materials, Philip Oh, yes. Uh, I read the first one. You read the first one. And was not completely blown away by it. Again, it's one of these books that... I can see, I can tell is really well constructed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as an author, I really appreciated it, but the story and the characters just didn't really do it for me. So I read the first one, yeah. uh, but then decided, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna set these aside. And I, I, I think at the time I read that, I'd read a bunch of, uh, books that were ostensibly aimed at younger readers, but mm-hmm. really had a, had a wide appeal. So the Lemony Snicket books. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I remember reading that at about the same time. And, uh, and I can't remember what else might have been, might have been in there as well. But, uh, but that was the one that I, that I, I remember reading and thinking, huh, no, uh, one of these days I should come back to this series. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it, it, it just didn't quite capture me at the time. But you really, uh, yeah, you really I do, I do love them. Back. And I feel like for this series in particular, it's less, a series and more a very long story that mm-hmm. when you just yes. read the first novel, maybe it doesn't do justice to the entire story. So yeah, stop it really it. is a long story it in, is, three, yes, in three volumes. In three parts, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I think, but they, the Book of Dust is coming out, I think, in October. So that'll be a new one by him. And okay. so that's had me thinking of the original. Is that a sequel or a prequel or how is it connected it's to the It's a sequel, originals? I believe. And I, I believe it is a sequel directly detailing what happens after okay. the third, but I'm not entirely sure. So there's been a couple of kind of subsidiary stories that he's written. So there's two, I think, that I bought for my dad one year for Christmas that are linked. And one of them takes place just after the end of the third novel. And one of them is just about a couple of the characters within the novel. Um, But I think this one is actually a full length work of fiction Uh taking place after the series has ended. Okay. I haven't read a lot about it. I just know it's in my day planner, like the day okay. that it comes out. <laughs> um, so I've been thinking about it a lot, yeah. and I may go back and reread those ones just in anticipation mm-hmm. of, yeah. of that one coming out. What about you, Shannon? Any books we haven't talked about or touched on that you want to be sure to talk about? Ooh, I think I've hit all, hit all, all the high all points the ones that, 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 that come to mind. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I uh, you were talking earlier about how, you know, fantasy, 
maybe more so than any genre, can really, different aspects of it can appeal to different people. Yes, for and, sure. And, and I think that's the really interesting thing in, in kind of looking at all the different fantasy novels that I've read, you know, the sheer breadth that they cover. Mm-hmm. You know, from the really high, high, high fantasy of, of something like Tolkien into, you know, the really gritty stuff of, you know, wh- whether it's gritty in terms of tone, like like George R. R. Martin, or gritty in terms of, you know, the urban realism of, of you know, something like a lot of Gaiman's work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know it's, it, it's interesting sitting here and just thinking about, you know, it, 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 it's almost a stretch to talk about it as a genre because it incorporates so much. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I guess kind of the one end that we haven't touched on is the science fantasy end of things. Okay. You know, and, and, and as distinct from science fiction, because mm-hmm. science fiction is a genre I've never particularly loved. Because mm-hmm. I always, I, I tend to find it kind of cold and remote yeah. and, and clinical. Yeah, and so so I, a lot of it is. And so I've read, you know, Asimov's Foundation, for instance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and again, you know, it's, it's something that I can appreciate what he's doing there, but it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't grab me as a reader. Uh, but, you know, then you get into things that, traditionally are classified as science fiction, but I think somewhat unfairly because, you know, they, because they really are fantasy novels that are just using science fiction trappings. So, so something like, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, for Oh, example. of course, yes. You know, yeah. in, you know, people will say it's science fiction because it's got aliens and, and spaceships and things like that, but no, it's not. No, it's you know, not. It's that fantasy. is all basically magic masquerading as technology. I agree, yeah. And, and I think there's... there's I, I think there are there's a tendency amongst people like myself who aren't big science fiction fans to steer clear of the science fantasy end of the spectrum, mm, but yeah. there's a lot of good stuff there as well. Uh, and, and, you know, the, you know, my, my single greatest love in life, apart from my wife, uh, <laughs> of course, is Doctor Who. Yes. And, and that I think is the best example of something that's truly science fantasy. Yes, I think that's, yeah, I see yeah. what you mean. You know, yeah. and, and, and one of the great things about Doctor Who is that there is an incredible wealth of really well-written Doctor Who novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the TV tie-in stuff tends to get short shrift, and in a lot of cases for very good reason. Yeah. Because they tend to be cheap cash-in right. novels that, you know, were written in a week and, yeah. and, and, you know, are just selling themselves based on the branding. But one of the great things about Doctor Who is that especially during the period it was off the air, mm-hmm. uh, so between 1990 and 2004, a lot of really good authors uh, who were fans of the show seized on the opportunity to write books set, set in that universe. So give us a couple of recommendations. Well, yeah. uh, and, and they can be a bit hard to find these mm-hmm. days uh, because a lot of the ones that came out in the 90s were out of print. But Russell T. Davis, who was the guy who brought Doctor yeah. Who back in 2005, mm-hmm. his first professional Doctor Who work was a novel. Oh, really? It's called Damaged Goods. I did not Goods. know that. Yep, okay. Damaged Goods came out in 1996, 97 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. And it is a really great piece of work. And it is kind of an urban fantasy. It, yeah. it, 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 it is uh, the Doctor and, and his, his companions in the novel was investigating uh, strange things that are happening on a housing estate. Oh, okay. and, and, and it turns out to, it, they discover the very dark, uh, background that 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 lies at the uh, concealed behind the lives of all these people mm-hmm. who live there. Uh, so that's a great one. Um, uh, a more recent one, one that uh, that should still be available, uh, based on on the more recent uh, seasons. 
uh, is one by an author called Jonathan Morris, uh, who's, a, who's done a ton of these Doctor Who novels and, and audio plays and things like that. And I hope one of these days we'll get the opportunity to write for television, because he's a really smart writer. Uh, and uh, it's called Touched by an Angel, and it, it uses the, the weeping angels oh, who've okay. been in, in the TV series uh-huh. that uses them to tell a very personal story that I thought was absolutely phenomenal. You know, it, 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 the, the great thing about a lot of these books, and Lord knows, there are some of them that are just cheap tie-ins that don't yeah. really do much, that, 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 that don't try very hard, mm-hmm. but a lot of them take the opportunity to take this TV series with its infinite time travel premise and tell all kinds of very different stories. Uh, yeah. and, and, and a lot of stories that couldn't be told on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so of, of, you know, I've read Star Trek novels. I've read Buffy the Vampire Slayer yeah. novels. Star uh, Wars. Yeah. Must, Star, yeah. Star Wars novels. Yeah. Most of them, yeah. you know, I, I, I can't say that I'd, I'd ever go back to, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of those Doctor Who tie-in novels that stand up as great works of writing. On their in, own. Uh, on yeah. their own. Even if there was no TV series. Yeah. That, that, and that is that rare for books that tie into a TV series, rare. for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, folks, the main thing I've taken away from this is a lot more titles and authors to add to my to-read list. Hopefully listeners will, too. I want to thank you both so much for doing this. It was really, really fun. Thank you for having us. Yes. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely delightful. <laughs> wraps up shelf esteem for another week and I hope particularly that if you enjoy reading fantasy you really enjoyed my conversation with Shannon and Sarah thanks so much to both of them for being here if you want to check out any of the books that any of us mentioned or recommended or even just discussed uh, once again you can go to my website trudymorgancole.com click on the shelf esteem button and it'll take you to the blog post where all the books we talked about today are listed I'd like to give a big thanks to Chris Cole for production work and for theme music. And I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with some more great guests talking about some more great books. Until then, read a good book and build your shelf esteem.